0: The following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. We're going to look at uh, Mark chapter 2 this morning. We've made it to chapter 2. That's page 837 in a pew Bibles, if that's helpful to you. Um, And I would like... Uh, everyone who is 11 years old or younger, to raise your hand, show me where you are. You're 11 or younger. Okay, thank you. You can put your hands down. Now I'm going to take a significant risk this morning. I um, I preached a sermon on this text in 2008. And so, for those of you who raised your hands, I know you didn't hear it. <laughs> so, um, even not been born yet. Uh, last time I preached this, in fact, uh, Crossroad Church had not been born yet when I last I preached this text. Um, I can count on one hand the number of you that I even knew in in 2008, <laughs> Um, other than Carol Ann and my kids, or a significant portion of my kids. <laughs> um, but the beauty of all of this is that although the original audience that I'll preach sermon on this text to um, is quite different than you, and I didn't know almost all of you, this sermon was about you. So I pray that this slightly edited version of a recycled sermon uh, will be an encouragement to you. And I also just want to make the disclaimer that I don't dip back in the barrel for another sermon just because I didn't feel like uh, preparing this week. Um, let's, let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful that your word is forever true and that... Um, we can look at the same passage again and again, and your Spirit still brings something new. Lord, we pray that you'd open our eyes to the truth of your Word this morning, that we'd be encouraged by the truth that we find there, that your Spirit would speak to us, open our ears to hear and soften our hearts to receive the message that you have for us. I thank you for the encouragement that this sermon has been to me throughout the week of thinking about this. And I pray that would be an encouragement to the rest of your people here today. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you aware that in a church there are a lot of buzzwords for Christian ministry, very popular uh, thoughts and, and strategies? Um, how many of you remember the church growth movement? books and books printed on church growth and how to make the church grow. Have you ever spent any time studying the meta-narrative of Scripture? Um, How about, uh, would you consider yourself emerging or um, seeker-sensitive or maybe even purpose-driven? The church is rife with... uh, buzzwords like this and thoughts. And so today I want to talk about another buzzword, and that's church community. You've heard this expression before, the church community. And I want to challenge us to move beyond community to something deeper, something better. If you search for faith community and Christian community, on the internet, they did have that in two thousand eight. Um, in two thousand eight, you would get over eight million uh results for a church, um, for faith community, and Christian community. And church community got twelve million. Do you know how many it was in two thousand and nineteen? It was eight and twelve million. Eleven years ago. In 2019, faith community resulted in 999 million uh, results on on the web. Christian community got 3.65 billion. And church community got 2.7 billion different things on the web regarding these things. So they're popular uh, words. Do you know how many that I got for... Uh, Online community, you've heard of online communities? 75 million in 2008. Any guesses for 2019? 9.3 billion online community mentions on the Internet. Hmm. Well, we live in a world that has lost sight of the true meaning of the word community. You no longer have to be in the same state or country or hemisphere to be in a, a be a part of a community, right? You can be a part of a community with people that you've never met before. Uh, maybe you never will. And I'm just as guilty of that. Anybody who has a social media account of any type, that's what that is: an online community um, of friends. Posting pictures so that you can criticize each other and they can't hear you say anything. <clears throat> According to dictionary.com, community is a social, religious, occupational, or other group sharing common interests, common characteristics or interests and perceived or perceiving itself as distinct in some respect from the largest society with, with, within which it exists. <sighs> That's a, not a great day for understanding. a thing that modern Christianity has gotten the idea of community and the idea of family backwards. Modern Christianity says that family is the big idea and community is a small idea, that the church community is the small thing. And family is big in a sense, Uh, the Keniston family is big not just in number but in overall size (laughs) it's probably not as big as the Eldridge family in this area but still Keniston family pretty big and I don't I don't know all of them in in the Keniston family I know some of them but I don't know all of them and the family of God is the same way in a sense it's big and unfamiliar, and worldwide, and meeting all over uh, our time zone right now. And yet, at the same time, the church family is small and intimate and close knit. I'd like to look at the difference between community and family in in Mark two. This is a great example in our text today. Mark two. We're going to look at verses one through twelve. Again, a page 837 in the Pew Bible. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men, And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. This is one of my favorite stories. We think about the flannel graph we've been talking about, or they lower the guy down through the roof of the, of the building. This is one of my favorite pictures in my mind. During Jesus' ministry, he didn't have a home. He said, "Uh, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. However, Capernaum, like we've talked about over the last few weeks, uh, is commonly referred to as Jesus' hometown or headquarters. That's not where he was born. We know that people knew that, but that's where he hung out the most. The Greek word, when it says, Jesus is home, it actually says, Jesus was in the house. Um, I don't know, maybe 2008, that would have been funny. Jesus in the house. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Something's just lost in a translation. (laughs) So, here's Jesus teaching in the house, right? And a great crowd had gathered to hear him speak. They had filled the house and the yard all around. The place was pegged. And along comes this group of guys who wants to see Jesus. And one of them was paralyzed. And his four buddies carried him there to see Jesus. To be healed. And it's this group of guys that we can learn a great deal about moving beyond community to something greater, something deeper. So what can we learn from these men what is about what is it about their relationship that made it greater than just being in a community together well first of all they were committed to each other something that you need to know is that in the holy lands at this time there were no uh, equal opportunity employer, employers nor um handicap uh, accessibility requirements life was not fair and life was not easy and if you had an infirmity like this man there's usually only one job only one way to provide for your needs and that was begging drag you out to the side of the road and you sit there waiting for somebody to bring you food or give you some money so that you could buy food didn't hear a lot about That up and coming young beggar on the south side of town, he's really doing things. Right? These guys were the bottom rung of society. They are cast off. No hope of improvement. There's nowhere else to go. They're forced to lay out by the side of the road dependent on the charity of others. This man, I think, had a very special situation. He had friends friends that were committed to each other. And this was a radical commitment. His friends accepted him regardless of social stigma, regardless of the unseen boundaries and lines that society draws. He had friends that accepted him for who he was, regardless of his infirmity. These men cared enough about each other that they were willing to carry their friend around carry him to who knows where. These men cared for each other. They're kind of like a support group. They carried one another's burdens, and in this particular case, they carried each other's burdens literally. They are carry him around on a bed. The Bible doesn't say they're pulling him around in a radio flyer wagon either. They didn't throw him in a wheelbarrow. They carried him on uh, like a cot. Uh, The word can be translated pallet, but that draws up other pictures in our mind, I guess. It's pretty much like that picture here. He's on a a cot thing. Um, And what do these friends do? They didn't want their friend to suffer anymore. So they brought him to the only one who could offer hope and offer healing. By persistent faith, they brought their friend to Jesus. Jesus was the only one who could heal this man's infirmity. He's the only one who could restore him socially. He's the only one who could forgive his sin. That's his real problem. But what problem did the men face this close-knit group of men who cared so much for their friend, they were willing to carry him around town and bring him to Jesus. What was preventing them from getting what they were after? The community. <laughs> the community is in the way. They couldn't get to Jesus because of all the people. They say that the proof is in the pudding. And I don't know what that means. But the radical commitment to uh, their friend, to care for their friend was proved when these men had tried to bring their friend to Jesus. Verse 4 says they could not get near to Jesus because of the crowd. Now think about yourself. I know that I uh, criticize injecting ourselves into these stories. But what would you do? At this moment, you try to get your friend to Jesus and you can't get there because everybody else in town got there first and you're carrying him around on a mat uncaring and uncommitted people would probably give up say look maybe we come back next Sunday morning we'll get there early right try again maybe they just dump him off say once everybody leaves maybe grab him by the ankle on the way out the door right Well, these guys had a radical commitment to their friend. They were committed to getting him healed, so they didn't let the community get in the way. Our friends literally had to move beyond the community to get their friend to Jesus. These guys are the definition of -of out-of-the-box thinkers. So, what did they do? Verse 4, they removed the roof above Jesus, and when they had made an opening, they let the bed down on which the paralytic lay now this this um this is a very neat and tidy picture on a screen here i'm I'm pretty sure this artist wasn't there that day, but um this does not do justice to the scene that these guys had just created. Imagine you have a party at your house, and somebody wants to get in, but they can't so they make a new door, and somebody is in the other one <laughs> right. Is that a skill saw here there must have been a lot of mess, a lot of dust and debris all over the place. They literally had to dig through the roof to get in. this made it look like their roofs are made of boards, which isn't that clean and neat, but I don't think it was that way. Other gospel accounts say they dug through the tiles or this clay and um, and uh branches and things like that to keep um what little rain there is in that part of the world out. What do you think the reaction of the lucky folks that were in the room already was? <laughs> right? Uh, right. You're sitting around, obviously, singing, Shine, Jesus, Shine, you know, and, uh, and then all of a sudden you start, somebody <laughs> banging on the ceiling and it started, plaster started to fall down. You think it's a cave-in? and and now there is a hole and there's a there is a dude on a bed being dropped down through the hole <laughs> right is i the picture that i get now understanding the translation it's really is a bed pallet cot thing but i always thought of mat like the i think it's niv uses the word mat uh which is not make you think like a rug now if you tie the four corners of a rug with rope and lower it down now you're just kind of dropping a bag into so there is a dude in a bag through a hole in the roof right i love this story this is like some kind of fraternity prank i think it's hazing right he's just trying to get into lambda lambda moo right so you're sitting in the room and the and the and the roof starts caving in and the uh, idiots just get dirt all over my new tunic right what are you doing disrupting this religious meeting? We're here talking to Messiah and what are you jerks doing? Make a big mess. Well, that's exactly how Jesus responded, isn't it? I hear, okay, thank you. That's, no, that's not at all what Jesus did. Look at verse five. When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And it's later in verse 11, he says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And arose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So what kind of relationship do these men have that's greater and deeper than community? If community is the highest goal of a, of a church, these guys went another level above. What would you call that? Family. <laughs> There's only two ways to get into a human family. Do you know what they are? Right. Birth and marriage, blood and covenant. That's it. You're either born in, that's how you get in, by blood, or you're married in or adopted in. That's uh How you get in by covenant. But there's only one way to get into the family of God. You know what that is? By the blood of the covenant. Right? The covenant Jesus made with us that whoever believes in him shall not die, but have everlasting life. These men were family. And they're looking forward to the blood of the covenant that would be poured out for them on the cross. And we who have faith in Christ are family by that same blood. So as a family, we should learn from their example by being radically committed to one another, regardless of flaws or infirmities. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. As a family, we can learn from their example by caring for each other, regardless of the difficulties. Galatians 6.10 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. That's the church. And thirdly, through their persistent faith, we also can bring our friends to Jesus. It's a very important word in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. I'm going to, I I I want to preach uh, this text again next week because there's so much more to say um, about this idea. But these friends brought their friend to Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "Your Son, son your sins are forgiven. I want to read you a little story, because that's what I used to do, how you end a sermon is with a story or a poem, right? This is pre-Crossroads. What's your favorite Bible story, Papa? A little girl asked her father as he tucked her under the sheets. Let me see, he said, as he sat on the edge of the bed. There are so many that I love. The story we read tonight at supper of the four men who carried their paralyzed friend to Jesus, lowering him through the roof is one of my favorites because it reminds me so much of how your uncle Hans was healed. I don't know that story, the little girl said. Hopefully, please tell it to me, Papa. Many years ago, the father began. Hans and his wife Enid escaped the war in Europe so that he could continue his life of teaching in seminary. At first, things were difficult because his English was not good. But soon he became one of our seminary's most beloved teachers. The students loved him because he was warm and gentle, and when he spoke, the scriptures came alive. Hans and Enid were very much in love. Nearly every day they took long walks together, holding hands. It warmed the hearts of the students and faculty alike to see them sitting close to each other in church. Then one day, Ina died, and Hans was struck with sorrow. For weeks, he would not eat or take walks. The seminary president, along with three other friends, visited him regularly, but he felt lonely and depressed. He was experiencing the dark night of the soul. On one of their visits, Hans said to his friends, I am no longer able to pray to God. In fact, I'm not certain I believe in God. After a moment of silence, the seminary president said, Then we will believe for you. We will make your confession for you. We will pray for you. The other friends looked bewildered by the President's word, but not knowing what else to say, they agreed. In the days ahead, the four men met daily for prayer. They made confession on behalf of Uncle Hans, and they asked God to restore the gift of faith to their dear friend, and they continued to visit him in his home. Then, after many months, the four men all gathered in Hans' living room. He smiled before he spoke. It is no longer necessary for you to pray for me. Today, I'd like you to pray with me. The dark night of the soul had passed. There was a long silence before the little girl spoke. Uncle Hans was like the sick man in the story, wasn't he, Papa? Only instead of a mat to carry him to Jesus, his friends used prayer. Father nodded and kissed his daughter goodnight. Eleven years ago, I preached this word dreaming of you. Of what a church family could really be. What a blessing it is to see this word come to life before my very eyes. That we are not a community. We are a family by the blood of the covenant and that's real that's no strategy book I've had many uh, friends in ministry ask how do you do it (laughs) I said there was a book written a long time ago obey the Lord stay out of the way and you are the result a true family and I praise God for you Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Now, as a continuation of our family time here, we're going to welcome a new child of God, your brother, Jonathan Schlemmer. And we're going to inaugura- inaugurate him into a church family through baptism. So the worship team is going to come and play a song. And we're going to go get ready and have baptism. Okay? Well, let's pray. Sit down. (laughs) I didn't write that down. I forgot. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your love for us. We're so thankful that your... Your desire for our two church family to be here in this place has come to fruition. And we pray, Lord, that you'd continue to work in each one of us, knowing that not everybody's in the same place and not everybody's relationship with everybody else is the same. I pray that you would continue to grow those ties, strengthen uh, the bond between us. Lord, we thank you for dying on the cross to make us a family, to make our adoption possible. We pray, Lord, that you would be glorified by your family here today. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now the worship team can come up. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, Checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipede, New Hampshire, 03890.